0: Hi, and welcome to the Reef Roundup Podcast, where we dive into marine conservation stories from around the world. We're your hosts. I'm Graham. And I'm Tamara, and we can't wait to dive into this episode.
1: Join us and meet some of the many amazing people who are doing exciting work to save the ocean for future generations with a focus on restoration, ecology, and environment.
0: We hope today's show is a wake-up call, but also brings you both hope and inspiration as you learn about the amazing work that's being done and how you too can be an ocean champion.
1: Let's get started.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Reef Roundup podcast. Today, we're excited to be talking with Rabbi Ed, who's the founder and director of the Tikkun Hayam, which is the only Jewish environmental organization that focuses solely on the marine environment. So welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us.
2: Well, thanks for having me. And so if we could start
1: um, with you just telling us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and how you first got interested in the ocean, that would be great.
2: Okay. Well, actually, I was born and raised in landlocked St. Louis, Missouri, and there wasn't a lot of water around, but I grew up um, watching reruns of the undersea world of Jacques Cousteau and Flipper and Sea Hunt, and I was always... Drawn to it. And uh, when I was 16, I asked my, my parents if, if I could get scuba certified. And my mother, uh, in her um, unique Jewish motherly fashion, said <laughs> that if, if God meant for humans to be underwater, he would have given us gills. <laughs> but needless to say, I didn't get scuba certified when I was 16. And it wasn't until um, my first year of rabbinical studies in Israel that I went on a hiking trip. With friends in uh, the Sinai Desert, and we made our way down to the tip of the of the Sinai Peninsula, to Sharm El Sheikh, and went snorkeling for the first time. And I was just overwhelmed. Um, it was the first time that I had put my face underwater with a mask in in an ocean, and it was uh, it was a whole new world, and I was hooked.
1: <laughs> I think a lot of us who are working in some way in ocean, the ocean generally, but ocean conservation especially. Have you know some sort of early you know experience that really drew us in and sucked our hearts into this work? But um, how, how did how did that initial experience lead into your current your current work?
2: It led to it initially just that I loved it and I and I wanted to uh, dive as much as I could and ex- and and experience the underwater world, and I had been the rabbi of two synagogues um, for for 12 years, one in Auckland, New Zealand, one in Brownsville, Texas. And and I had the opportunity to go to work for Hillel, which is the foundation for Jewish campus life, which works with um, Jewish college students around the world. And I was the campus rabbi at Emory University. And a program began called Birthright, which sends uh, Jewish college students to Israel. And the program had just started, and we had about 300 students apply for 40 positions. And I felt bad for all of those who didn't get accepted. And it was a double-blind lottery. It was totally random. Um, And I looked at the applications, and I was surprised to see how many people had said that outside interests were scuba diving. So just to try and provide something for those students who didn't get on this amazing trip to Israel... I I reached out to all those students who said they were scuba divers and said, hey, I'm starting a Jewish scuba club. Would you like to get involved? It's called (laughs) Scooby Jew. And and, and it didn't really exist, but I started it once everybody responded. And I was amazed at the number of students who said, yeah, that sounds amazing. It's only called Scooby Jew because I'm a campus rabbi. I mean, they really, the students really just humor me. It's open to everybody. And I love when non-Jewish students say, hey, I'm a Scooby Jew. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so it's open to everybody so um so I started and I got the students together and our first trip was a uh, we went down to Crystal River in Florida and went snorkeling with manatees which was tremendous <laughs> manatee before and then we went diving in Rainbow River and it was a, a wonderful experience and it was just a, a social group for the students and I kept the social group going for my two years at, uh, at Emory and then I went, became the Hillel director at Cornell University and again continued it as a social group for students. There's not a lot of diving in upstate New York. Um, and so we would go diving once a year before the water got too cold up in the Thousand Islands. But when I moved to Florida as the Hillel director um, for, this, for the Tampa Bay region, one of my schools is a small liberal arts college um, called Eckerd Eckerd College in St. Petersburg, and their biggest major is marine biology, followed by environmental studies. And I was amazed to find the number of Jewish students who were certified divers. And I said, well, let's start Scooby Jew at Eckerd. And um, they just came out of the woodwork. There were only um, about 100 Jewish students on campus. And of those, about 30 of them were certified divers, wow. which was crazy. And of course, it's such a small school. This, But what happened was because there were so many students who were passionate about the marine environment, the, the club could no longer just be a social group. Okay. And so what it forced me to do was to delve deeper into fun. And what I found was these students were already passionate about the marine environment and what I needed to do as the campus rabbi was find where there was an intersection between how they were raised and their passion. And, you know, most Jewish kids, you know, up until the time they go to college, they go to Hebrew school, they have their bar mitzvah. And it's very, uh, you know, you teach them to to do something in, in a language they don't understand. And you teach them Bible stories and tell them about holidays and say, do this, don't do that. It's, and it's pretty dry. So when they are exposed to part of their tradition that connects to their passion, it's it's like a light goes off. And they say, wow, I had no idea that this was part of my religious tradition. And wow. so that's that's how it's become what it is. And then it's just expanded because it became so popular on campus that we've moved off campus and uh, into the general community.
0: Wow. And how would you explain the connection between Judaism and marine conservation? And what can we learn from this combination?
2: You know, it's interesting because um, the environment and nature are part of pretty much every spiritual tradition because regardless, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, Sikh, Baha'i, everybody understands um, or has this understanding about the divine nature of creation. And when I say creation, I'm not talking about what the Bible says, six days God created the heavens and the earth, 5,781 years ago. Um, Judaism has a different approach um, to understanding our sacred texts. So while some religious traditions read the Bible literally, the literal understanding is part of the Jewish understanding of scripture, but not the totality. And so, we look to that concept of creation in the first chapter of Genesis as just about every religious tradition does, not specifically from that book, obviously, but they see the divine in nature. And that the, you know, I always point to Carl Sagan, who was a great scientist of the 20th century. And Carl Sagan said, he said, the notion that science and spirituality are mutually exclusive does a disservice to them both. Wow. And so, but, but the problem is that the, all of these religious slash spiritual traditions that see the divine in nature are all focused on the terrestrial realm. Okay. Um, and in Judaism, nature is intrinsically intertwined with Judaism. All of our holidays follow the agricultural cycle. And Judaism is not a religion of, based in faith. Judaism is a religion based in law. It's a fundamental difference between Judaism and Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so we have laws for everything. If you saw the movie Fiddler on the Roof, it says <laughs> how to eat, how yeah. to sleep, how to work, even how to wear clothes. <laughs> and the law really governs everything. And it also dictates our relationship to nature. So there are many laws in Judaism about how we are to treat the natural environment. But none of them, or I shouldn't say none, very few of them have to do with, with the marine environment and water. And okay. water in Judaism is really viewed as a, a purifying agent. It doesn't really delve into the spiritual nature of water. And so for that, because, because it's a terrestrially based religion. Yeah. I mean humans are terrestrial beings. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so, so that's why it's all focused on that. But once you delve into other aspects of our tradition, in particular the, the Kabbalah, which is the Jewish spiritual tradition and the spiritual teachings of Judaism, then when you there you'll find such profound teachings about not the physical nature of water and the sea, but the spiritual nature of water and the sea. Physicality, I leave to the scientists. I'm not a scientist. (laughs) But when it comes to the spirituality of the sea and water, that's my area.
0: And how would you describe the spirituality of the sea?
2: (laughs) Mind-blowing. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) The Kabbalistic tradition teaches that, um, that this world is an illusion that true reality is the metaphysical realm where everything exists in its non-corporeal spiritual essence. Um, some people call that the soul um, and that this physical world is a mere reflection. So when like when you look in a mirror, you see yourself in detail, but it's only the surface. The true essence is, is you. And so um, the tradition teaches that everything in this world is a reflection of its true spiritual essence. And that's everything. Judaism teaches that everything has a a soul. Varying degrees of soul, like human supposedly has the highest level followed by animals and vegetation. And even inanimate entities, beings have a, a degree of soul because everything that exists in this world is a reflection of its metaphysical essence. And so the question was asked, if everything in this world is a reflection of its spiritual essence, what then in this world is the reflection of what the Kabbalah refers to as the light, which is the primordial source of everything. And the light, if, if you want to put a term to that, um, you could call it God. But I don't generally use that term, which is strange, I guess, for a rabbi, <laughs> because it, it's a trigger. You know, my you say, God, my mother, she should rest in peace, thought God was an old man with a long white beard on the top of Mount Sinai. I said, mom, I've been there, trust me. (laughs) not. I mean, the Kabbalah teaches that the light is an infinite endless emanation of energy that contains everything that ever is, was, or ever will be in its non-corporeal state. And that it's the light is the primal cause of everything of the universe. Uh And so the Kabbalah asks the question explicitly, in a text called Sefer HaBahir from the 13th century. And it says, if everything in this world is a reflection of its ultimate true metaphysical essence, what then in this world is the reflection or the manifestation of the light of God? And they answer it explicitly, the text says, or hachayim shalmayim, the light is the life of water. Wow. So you want, you want to talk about the spiritual essence of water? You know, in Judaism, I mean, think about what I, what I teach my students is that um, the Torah says on the literal level that humans are created in the image of God. And I ask the question, the age-old question, did God create humans in, in its image or did we create God in ours? When you understand the Kabbalistic approach to this, You know, in Judaism, the one uncompromising principle is the unity of God. um, And that God is the ultimate of everything. And when you understand the Kabbalistic understanding of the manifestation of the light in the world, and you look at water, water is the most unifying force on our planet. If you take an eyedropper of water and you drop one drop into the ocean, that one drop becomes the entire ocean. You can't separate it. Right. And when you look at, you know, we talk about humans in the divine image, really, I believe that God created humans in the divine image. I don't believe we created God in, in our image. Okay. But if I understand the light as the manifestation of the reflect, water as the reflection of the light, and I realize the human being is 70% water, 60 to 70% water, depending on your age. The planet is 71% water every living being, every organism from an amoeba to a blue whale is mostly water. Every tree, every scrub, every plant is mostly water. When I can see that, it changes my entire worldview. Suddenly we're not separate. No longer can is it does the color of a person's skin or the beliefs they hold or even you know the how many legs we walk on.
1: <laughs> right. And it
2: unites all of creation is the manifestation of the light in the world. To me, that's the image of God.
1: Wow. I, I, I have chills as you were talking,
2: and I mean, I, I'm not Jewish, or, you know, like, but... It applies to everybody. It yeah, yeah. Everybody.
0: So could you explain the meaning of tikkun hayam and where that name came from?
2: Sure. There's a, uh, there's a tenet in Judaism called tikkun olam, which means to repair the world. And it's based on the concept that the world was created perfectly. In its pure form, the world is perfect. And then humans got thrown in the mix and we screwed it all up. (laughs) (laughs) So tikkun olam is a means by which to... Tikkun olam means to repair the world. And it it makes us partners with the divine to repair the damage that we've done. Now, people um, fulfill this this principle differently. Some people do it by working for social justice, by... um, by uh, helping the poor, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, fighting social injustice. Um, and others do it through environmental work. So um, all the environmentalists around the world who are Jewish are doing it in the context of Tikkun Olam. So Tikkun Hayam means to repair the sea. Okay. And I just made it up, it's not really. <laughs> <laughs> Just, <It's> genius though <laughs> yeah but it works <laughs> it works and because our focus is uh, it's it's it is tikur olam but we focus solely on the marine environment and uh because on a personal level i believe that the greatest existential threat to our planet is the degradation of the marine environment uh-huh. i mean it's, it's very simple um as Paul Watson, the founder of Sea Shepherd, says, um, "If the ocean dies, we die," yeah. and the ocean is dying. Yeah. So, um, so I believe it's the greatest existential threat to to humanity, not to the planet. The planet is going to continue. Yeah. The planet is going to carry on. I'm just not so sure that humans are going to be part of it.
1: Wow. And 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 what kind of activities then does your organization do? <laughs>
2: When it comes to the student activities, because I do work with college students on a daily basis, yeah. Um, our Scooby Jew group—we are very active. Um, we we're, we're the only hill in the world that owns a boat, so our students regularly <laughs> go out. We're part of part of Project Aware, um, okay. and we have adopted the Saint Petersburg Downtown Reef. So we go out regularly, um, and and remove debris from, it's not a coral reef. Um, It's an artificial reef in Tampa Bay. Um, You know, people think about Florida and scuba diving and they think about the Keys, which is phenomenal. Um, Tampa Bay, not so much. So our students go down and there's no visibility and uh, the reefs are made up of um, concrete slabs and construction debris and rebar. Um, The purpose was the county created the artificial reef system to enhance marine life for the fishermen basically. And uh, so the reefs are usually covered with nets and rope and anchor lines and, uh, and, and monofilament and hooks and, and lead weights. It's really pretty horrible. But our students go out regularly and, you know, the club is not a recreational club. It's not a recreational dive club. Okay. People think, oh, it's a, a scuba club and they're going out and they're seeing the beautiful coral and the pretty fish. We do very little of that. I mean, ours is a service club and the students work in very difficult conditions. And uh, I, I couldn't be more proud of what they do. And so that's the dive work that they do. Um, but we also have regular regular waterfront cleanups um, um, on campus because there's a mile and a half of waterfront property at Eckerd College, which is gorgeous. Um, but throughout the Tampa Bay region, we regularly go out and, and clean the reefs, I'm sorry, clean the beaches and, and the mangroves that are around, and so they do that. And we have other projects, um, um, but they're not as hands-on.
1: Again, looking at your website as well, we saw, and Tamara, I, I don't know if we mentioned this, but she is Jewish. Uh, so we saw that you've led on um, birthright trips that involve scuba diving. She was pretty excited to see that was a possibility. Yeah,
0: I, I haven't had the opportunity to go on birthright yet, but when I saw that, I was like, wow, that is the dream trip.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you got a spot if you want it. (laughs) I'm fortunate that uh, I was able to start that program with Birthright uh, six years ago. And um, it's been tremendous. That is a recreational experience. (laughs) (laughs) Although we do, because we also, it's very interesting. Um, Birthright, as you know, just take, as I said before, just take Jewish students to Israel who haven't been there. Um, And part of the program is to expose the students to the nature in Israel. So they go on hikes. The difference between our trip is that when others go on hikes, we go diving. And we dive the ruins of um, Caesarea. Um, it was, oh, it's wow. the ancient port that was built by King Herod 2,000 years ago. And underwater are just these like Roman columns that have just collapsed over the years it's pretty amazing but unfortunately it's also on the eastern i'm I'm sorry yeah on the eastern coast of the mediterranean so a tremendous amount of 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 debris is underwater and just a lot of litter and and garbage so in addition to just going to dive there we always do a cleanup dive as well wow amazing (laughs) so yeah you've got a spot on that trip if you want it (laughs) tomorrow
0: i'll be there (laughs) okay great (laughs) (laughs)
2: she's gonna show up with her bags
1: at your door tomorrow like i'm ready
2: (laughs) but we also do alternative spring breaks with the students um but again our our alternative spring break trips are always service trips so we we usually go down to the florida keys and we'll volunteer with the coral restoration foundation and work in their nurseries which is a, a a great organization and uh, we do dive against debris down there as well as uh, beach cleanups or we've I've taken students to the Bahamas to do shark education and beach cleanups and the like because the reality is beach is everywhere I mean anywhere where there's a waterfront it's 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 filthy it's horrible (laughs) except where the tourists go because that's the tourist dollars
1: (laughs) I feel my passion for the ocean and for ocean conservation on a very spiritual level. Even though I'm, I'm pretty far from a spiritual tradition in my day to day life. Although I was raised Catholic, but uh, yeah, it, re- it really, it really strikes a chord to hear you talk about it from a religious perspective because it does feel like something spiritual and like part of me that I don't tap into that much, which is like that kind of like spiritual and there's something bigger than just us side. Um, that's hard to describe without thinking about spirituality. So th- th- thank you for that. <laughs> like that was that really, yeah. Hit
2: home. You know, I, I working with college students, one of the things I hear from them more than anything is they say, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Yeah. Which is fine, which is fine. You know, I, I think that's very common. Your generation doesn't necessarily buy into the trappings of going to a church or a synagogue and having somebody Mm. preach at them and tell them what they should believe. Um, But I hear people all the time say, I feel when I'm near or in the water, I feel a spiritual essence. I feel spiritual in the water. And all I'm trying to do is give an explanation as to what that is. Uh, And it's not that I'm trying to give it. I mean, that's what my tradition teaches. I just had to delve into it to find it. Because I mean, you know, Sefer Abba here was written, like I said, in 13th century, a long time ago. I didn't come up with these ideas. I just get to be the one who teaches them.
1: It's, it's, it's really amazing. I, I, I'm
2: already so excited to, to share this, uh, these thoughts. One of the best programs I do with students is, um, is underwater meditation, where, um, as I said before, the, the, the fundamental principle of Judaism is the unity of God. Yeah. And so the, it's it's stated in in our liturgy, um, and tomorrow you you know this from Hebrew school Shema Israel. And so I I do a meditation on that prayer with the students because when we go underwater I, I tell them all we do all this on the surface beforehand, but to say this um, this statement to themselves underwater and recognize that when you're immersed in the water since water is that unifying force when you're under the water when you're immersed in the ocean or in a lake you are one with everything because you're physically connected you know we talk about the seven seas there are not seven seas there's one great ocean with seven continents plopped in the middle of it we identify them differently geographically with different ocean currents and the like right but You remove the land and uh, remove the continents and it's one big ocean.
1: It's 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 so true.
2: It, I I
1: love that you think of you know like diving and being underwater as as like meditation. It's something I think about all the time. Uh, I I started doing like this own like personal meditation when Tamara and I were doing our dive master together, and would be like leading groups of people, but I'd always try to make sure there was a time period where they were off, kind of like looking at things, and I just kind of like close my eyes and like have a yeah. little meditation, just floating there, like yeah, uh-huh. yeah,
2: yeah. We, we do a meditation when I take students on the key into the keys. Uh, I always include a meditation dive, a drift dive. So we've got our safety diver in the boat and then we just get down to where there's nothing around 40, 50 feet and just let the current carry us. And uh, and I tell them to meditate. Eyes open, closed, whatever you like. We've got a safety diver keeping track of everybody. Yeah. Um, and just be one with everything. That's the unity of the water. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to
1: be showing up with my bags too tomorrow morning. <laughs> you better be careful.
2: Everybody is welcome. Everybody is
1: welcome. <laughs> this concludes the first of our two-part interview with Rabbi Ed Rosenthal. If you enjoyed hearing this part of the interview, you're in for a treat with the next one, which will be coming out two weeks from now. In that next part of the series, we will be covering such topics as what Rabbi Ed believes are the biggest challenges the ocean is facing, his experience of diving over the course of 36 years, the changes he's seen personally, as well as covering several other topics about the work of Rabbi Ed's organization, specifically as it relates to how both Jews and non-Jews alike can can get involved and make some really big changes. So again, it's going to be fantastic. We'll see you again in two weeks.
0: Thank you for joining us for another edition of the Reef Roundup podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode.
1: Please take a moment and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
0: And don't forget to add us on Instagram at Reef Roundup for news about the ocean, inspiring stories, and more.
1: You can also find more about us as well as our guests at ReefRoundup.com.
0: We release a new episode every two weeks.
1: See you you soon. soon. (laughs)